Welcome to Balance Your Life Podcast. My name is Megan Farrell and I am the host of the show. This podcast is designed to inspire and empower you to start and maintain your own wellness journey so you can become the best version of yourself. Let's begin. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Balance Your Life Podcast. I am your host, Megan Farrell Gordon, and today we have a very wellness and holistic health podcast episode for you. This is a podcast episode that kind of goes all over the place, which we love. We are talking about all things holistic health, wellness, yoga, meditation, We cover a lot of ground in today's podcast episode. If you are a wellness junkie, if you love to learn new things, you are going to get all of that and more from today's podcast episode. This week on the podcast, I am joined by Lily Allen Duenas. Lily is an international yoga teacher, meditation guide, and holistic health and wellness coach. She helps overwhelmed individuals reduce their emotional overload and find balance, breath, and space for self-care. Lily is the founder of the Wild Yoga Tribe and is the host of the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. She has taught yoga classes and wellness workshops all over the world. Her journey has led her to a life of flexibility, fluidity, and has fostered a vast reservoir of compassion, curiosity, and creativity. She endeavors to guide others on their path to living a life centered on wholehearted well-being. You guys are in for a real treat with today's podcast episode. Like I was saying, we talk about all things yoga, meditation, health, and wellness. We also discuss the Buddhist lifestyle, morning routines, how to make traditional teachings applicable in the modern world, and so much more. We love things all wellness here, especially on the podcast. The theme of 2022 has been has been upgrading our wellness routines, our wellness lifestyle, so we can be the best version of ourselves. And one of the things that I love so much, I've been using it for years now, it's been a real game changer, is Nature's Remedy CBD. If you struggle with sleep, inflammation, anxiety, and pain relief, then you need to try Nature's Remedy CBD. I take mine at night to help me with sleep, just a few drops underneath your tongue for 30 seconds and I am out like a light. CBD is also incredible if you struggle with anxiety, if you have any sort of pain. I know Brad likes to take his throughout the day when he's having back pain. And what I love so much about this CBD is it's third-party lab tested It's vegan, it's organic, it's cruelty-free, non-GMO, solvent-free, and made in small batches here in Canada. There is so much out there in CBD that is just not good quality as far as I'm concerned, and this CBD is the exception. It's so clean. I swear by it. I give it to all my friends and family, and I know you're going to love it too. You can email me today, info at balancedbymegan.com to find a solution and a CBD product that works for you. That's info at balancedbymegan.com and I will make sure that that is linked in the show notes for you. I'm a 1-3 self-projected projector. Learning this about myself has made my life so much more easeful and enjoyable. When I heard the word human design, I thought it was another trend, but I kept hearing it and hearing it and how much people swore by it. So I did my human design chart. And let me just tell you, it absolutely blew my mind. Your human design chart is your energetic blueprint and it literally gave me the information of how I was meant to operate in the world, how I make the best decisions for myself, and how to know when I'm not in alignment. It's not a personality test. 
It's unbiased and based on your birth date, your birth time, and birth location. It didn't tell me anything I didn't already know deep within me about myself. It just gave me the permission to be who I was designed to be. If you want to learn more about your own specific human design chart, you can book a call with me on my website or use the link in the show notes. There are four options available for you. The mini reading, the intro reading, the deep dive reading, and the advanced reading. So if you have been wanting to learn more about human design, I've offered a few masterclasses on it, and I also offer one-on-one human design chart readings. So use the link in the show notes to book your human design chart reading with me today. With that, please welcome Lily Allen Duenas to the Balance Your Life podcast. Welcome to the show, Lily. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks, Megan. Me too. I would love if you could give a little bio of who you are and where in the world you are currently joining us from today. Absolutely. So I am a yoga teacher and meditation teacher from um, the Napa Valley, Sonoma County area in Northern California, but I'm currently living in France. I spent a couple of years pretty nomadic uh, pre-COVID doing more yoga teacher trainings and teaching um, and leading workshops and stuff all over the world, but I married a French man, so we're living in France now. I would love to know, like, what is your experience like being in France? Do you find it's, I feel like you're so close to so many different countries being out there. Do you still find that when there's not a pandemic that you will travel or that you like to travel being that close? Oh, yeah. It's just such an amazing place to be located because specifically where we are, we're only, uh, I would say about an hour from the border of Belgium. So we actually do some of our grocery shopping over there. Like <laughs> that's where I find my miso paste and my mango chutney. Like they have great, um, really great ethnic food sections. And we'll go, uh, Luxembourg's about four and a half hours, four hours from here. Um, the Netherlands is only three hours, Germany, three hours. We will go to um, probably hop over to Switzerland for some skiing for Christmas. So it's like, we're very lucky to be in such a good spot um, and be able to, yeah, access these countries. Yeah, that's incredible. That's amazing. I would love to back right up and ask you, how did you even get started on your yoga journey? Was it something that was just really natural to you? Like, how did this whole path unfold for you? Yeah, so... It, it was amazing. I was in high school. I was like 16 or 17. And one of my friends was uh, a member at a, a local gym. Her whole family was. I wasn't a, a gym goer at age 16, 17. I just did soccer and sports. But they she said, oh, I hear there's this yoga class. And I just remember we just joked around about it sounding like yogurt. Like we had never heard of yoga. It was It was nothing... We had no idea, but I liked, I love to try new things. I was just like that high school kid. It was like, let's go to the palm reader. Let's go to the aura, you know, aura channeling expert. Like I just love doing fun things and different things. And so we went to this yoga class and even though it was over 15 years ago or right about that, that long, I just remember feeling like immediately like oh man I it just felt in such alignment with me my energy felt like I was remembering something that I'd forgotten or felt like I was coming home in that way like after a long trip and you're exhausted and you finally feel like you come home it's just that's what that class felt like it it felt just really resonated with me and so then I of course did not become a you know going to yoga five times a week type of person that wasn't available yet in my in my area, or at least to me in my knowledge. There probably was something there, but I, I wasn't as tapped in. But then I went off to university and I started doing classes four or five days a week. I was working in marketing after I graduated. I was doing, yeah, nonprofit marketing management. And then after a big life transition, this voice inside of me said, you're meant to do something different. I was like, what am I supposed to do? So I spent a year, (laughs) a year asking my inner wisdom, my inner intuition, that question, what am I supposed to do? And just took a year. And then finally in Shavasana, the answer just happened, become a yoga teacher. So I took my time, but as soon as that voice came within, 
you know, two weeks, I had a month sabbatical approved from work. I had a plane ticket. I had a yoga teacher training in Kathmandu picked out. Boom, 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 boom. Off I went. And then that just marked the beginning of my journey where instead of going back to work permanently, I just went back, packed up my things, sold my car, and then became a nomadic yoga teacher. Wow, that is incredible. And it sounds like it's like the true form of manifestation that come that is coming out. Everything just happened in so much alignment for you. That's crazy. I, it, it seems to kind of go two ways, especially when I'm talking to people, when you're, when you were first doing yoga, you know, you said you were 16 or 17. Did you find it was very like philosophy based or was it more of a fitness exercise? And, and I think the reason why I want to ask this is because I feel like there's this conception, especially in the Western world where like yoga is very, fitness-based and I even myself like I do teach a lot of like power strengthening yoga sequences and yoga classes but and my journey started out as like I was like I just want to get toned I want to get fit and I just don't want to like go and lift weights and I I feel like some people think that it can't transition into like more of a spiritual based or philosophy based like it just it is exercised so I would love to know what that was like for you was it was it more philosophy based or was it very much more of like, this is an exercise program? No, it, I'm glad you asked. And I totally agree in that in the US or in the West, especially, it is becoming more of that um, all about the body, all about aesthetics, um, how bendy and, and, and beautiful on Instagram you look or how fit and toned or you have an injury you're recuperating from. So it's recommended by your PT or doctor, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, actually, I was really fortunate that kind of since the day one, it has been more of a, a moving meditation, a moving with awareness. While I wouldn't say I remember from, you know, 15 plus years ago, the philosophy being introduced in terms of, you know, was she talking about the yamas or niyamas? I don't know, <laughs> but I do remember that all of the languaging, languaging and all of the instruction was really on quieting the fluctuations of the mind. And you, it's amazing that, and it's so strange that we now think of yoga just as this asana practice, this physical practice, because actually in like the oldest, oldest scriptures in India and in the Vedas, it doesn't even contain the word asana. Um, although it does have like that root root word as like ah, um, which is translated in Sanskrit as to sit or to be. So asana doesn't even come up later until the Upanishads. And it's only then talked about as postures for meditation. So the meaning of asana has changed over time, of course, with the introduction of Hatha Yoga and Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. But even in all of those sutras, like 196, I think it is, only three even talk about asanas. Like it's all about meditation, all about kind of realizing truth and consciousness and escaping samsara. And there's just so much more to, to yoga than the physical posture side of it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with you. And I, there's, there's so many ways that I could, could kind of go off on a tangent about that. And I, I do not think that there's anything wrong. If that's the way somebody comes to yoga, if they come like, you know, even to me, they're like, I want to lose some weight. I'm like, great. Okay. That's fine. That's a great starting point. And then you like sneak some stuff in and then it becomes like, I think a great yoga teacher makes it more than just being about the poses, because I do really believe that, you know, exercise is important, but yoga as I mean as you know too it's like it's in the way I was taught it's like eight limbs and it's one of those limbs that is like the yoga lifestyle I would love to know when did your journey become you know you're very into and you can correct me if I'm wrong Buddhism and I mean doing your teacher training in Kathmandu I mean that seems in my mind you know you hear India or Kathmandu and it's just like they seem like very spiritual places to me when did it become more of like you know I, I want to learn all there is about the yoga lifestyle and about Buddhism and you know everything that kind of comes along with that Oh, yeah. I think I've been interested in Buddhism also since I was like a little, little girl. I found a little scrap of paper with my 
bucket list. You know, I was 10 years old. I, I wrote it in like a crayon <laughs> practically. I was so young, but on my bucket list, it was like catch a fish with my bare hands and like these little silly things. But also there was, um, stay at or visit a Buddhist monastery. Like it has always been something I've been so curious about. So Buddhism, while my parents weren't Buddhism, I didn't know, or Buddhist, I didn't know anyone who was Buddhist. It was just something I, I felt so curious about ever since I guess maybe I saw a National Geographic episode documentary or, you know, this is pre-YouTube, this is pre-all this stuff. It was just something I'd probably seen in a magazine and just felt re like it resonated. But I'm very interested in Buddhism. Absolutely. I've studied um, I multiple, <laughs> I've done multiple courses. I've read a ton of books. I've uh, been in India for four months and I've stayed at monasteries, um, Tibetan monastery with the um, uh, it's in alignment with the, the Dalai Lama in Dharamsala, but it's called Tushita, and it's part of the Mahayana tradition. And then also in Nepal at Kopan Monastery, I've done Vipassanas in Sri Lanka, and in uh, Bali, and in uh, Thailand. So yeah, I, I'm definitely very into Buddhism, and I love kind of getting to talk about these sister t traditions that come from each other in a way. There, there's so many things that are similar. Even the Dalai Lama calls them calls uh, yoga and or Hindu uh, yoga and Buddhism the twin brothers. I think that's very sweet. And since also with the influx of Tibetan refugees into India in the 20th century, um, including the Dalai Lama. Uh, there's even been a greater dialogue between the, the Buddhist and the yogic traditions. I have an off-kilter question here, but it's just, do you feel like maybe it's a California thing to be so, I feel like there's this line of being like, I mean, LA known to be very materialistic, but also I feel like everybody I speak to and know from California, they all seem to have this kind of wellness-ness about them this kind of like kind of spirituality but kind of also tied in with the materialistic I just I find it very fascinating that a lot of people I know who grew up in California or are from California they seem to be very on the pulse almost with kind of being a little bit more tapped into spirituality than I guess the rest of the western world if that makes sense yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I agree that there's a lot of people who are wellness aligned in California. I I was trying to kind of hint at the fact that like my parents aren't like hippies. My parents aren't Buddhist. My parents have never practiced yoga. Like my there wasn't anything really even I, I don't even think my friend's parents, maybe one friend was Buddhist, but it wasn't something I was aware of. So it wasn't like I had this big exposure to it. But I do think maybe there is more um kind of a, a nudging towards somehow that is uh, subliminal, <laughs> maybe. Okay, yeah, no, it's just, I, I find it so funny. It's like, when you were talking about it, I'm like, I have to ask this because I've talked to a lot of people. I have a few friends from California and I'm like, man, like, I feel like you guys are like very wellness-based and it sounds very cool. I would love to know in your experience, how can we kind of marry Buddhist tradition with, yogic tradition and how can we make it almost like more applicable especially for people in the western world you know a lot of people go off and they do these incredible retreats and they do these trainings and it's they're almost like they're in this own little world over there and it kind of makes it hard to bring it back into the western world especially with our cha chaotic lifestyle so how can we make more these two marry together I know this is a loaded question how can we marry these two together and also make it more applicable to our daily life and reality? Two big, big questions. How to marry the two together or, you know, uh, have the two in alignment and how to make it applicable. So I'll start first with the, the former, uh, the first part. Um, so it's, I think, great to know that Buddhism actually kind of grew up in a cultural base of Hinduism. So the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, was born a Hindu. Um, so that, that's also just important to realize that Hindu, Hinduism is, is older than Buddhism. And so, uh, Buddha was born and, you know, lived around the sixth 
to the 4th century BC, but the Rig Veda itself is all the way from 1500 BC, which is that first reference of yoga. So it's just, it's just good to know. And that also Hindus generally will accept Buddha as an avatar of Vishnu. So just as a reincarnated um, one of their three, you know, main gods, although they accept Jesus, um, they accept any person they, they, that could be potentially a reincarnated god. No problem. And there is gods that are similar, goddesses, even in both uh, religions of Buddhism and in Hinduism, like the goddess Tara, who's worshipped in both as the goddess of compassion and protection. So Indian and Tibetan Buddhism include Ayurvedic medicine, some astrology, Sanskrit, like there is a big crossover. So I think kind of having that acknowledgement that it's, it's not two giant, giant separations, but they're also not identical. There is some kind of philosophical things that are different. Like um, in Buddhism, they don't believe in any kind of soul or spirit, any kind of separate self. That's just not part of at all of the tradition. But in, um, <laughs> in, Hinduism, of course, Atman is the eternal self, and it's the self beyond the ego or the, the false self. It is a spirit, it is a soul, and it's just kind of that underlying true essence of our existence. But in Buddhism, nope, no soul, no self, nothing's permanent, nothing has an eye to it, nothing is separate from the cosmic kind of oneness, you know, from all of oneness, all of unity. So if we're going to try to and I, I'm happy to talk about that, any of that more. You want to talk about Dharma, you want to talk about a scripture we can dive in. But in terms of how to make them more applicable, I think it is important to realize, as I kind of alluded to, that yoga and Buddhism are both meditation traditions. So they're both devised to help us transcend our karma, the cycle of rebirth, and to realize the truth of our consciousness and the truth of our impermanence and of suffering and to develop more awareness. So if you are going to kind of acknowledge that as a root, um, that both traditions focus on achieving or accessing enlightenment through meditation, then I think um, that's a great place to start is with meditation. <laughs> Even if your meditation practice is um, going to inc incorporate a lot of yoga asana, that's okay. It doesn't have to be seated, cross-legged on a floor. I think that we, we shouldn't you know, um, glorify that lotus pose looking all idyllic by a pond. It's like, that's not the goal. It's mindfulness. It's, it's being present. It's being aware. It's aligning with the breath. It's taking pauses. If you have an Apple watch, you can use that breathe function. You can absolutely once an hour, you can just actually take that one minute, lean back in your chair, close your eyes and just focus on your breath. Or there's amazing apps out there like Insight Timer, where I have some free meditations on there. I know you do too, Megan. Woo woo. <laughs> so there's Insight Timer or another app I love is Plum Village. It's a free app uh, in the app store and it's run by Titnot Han, who is a Vietnamese monk. Um, he's, he's not as popular as the Dalai Lama, but I would say perhaps he's the second most well-known monk in the world, if that's not familiar to your listeners. Plum Village is the name of his app, and he has a bell of mindfulness. So you can set the bell to ring once an hour, once every other hour, every 30 minutes. You can select the time. It's a very nice, like, singing bowl sound. And you can set that to ding from certain times of the day, not through the night. You know, there's lots of functions. But I love having that bell of mindfulness as well, just to ding once an hour, 11 a.m., 5 p.m. And then I remember to take three big, deep breaths. Like these are just small things that you can do to bring more mindfulness into your day, um, which of course it, mindfulness and meditation are kind of two sides of a coin or, or two parts that come together as one. But I also think of course having um, someone to help keep you accountable maybe or help guide you or help introduce you to different practices is awesome. Whether you're working with a wellness coach, I think you offer coaching services, I do as well, to help you kind of stay more in alignment. And if not listening to podcasts like this, you know, listening to inspirational, um, spiritual things or reading more spiritual texts or just getting one of those like daily apps to send you a, a mindful message. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of small things and they really do add up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. And I think I've talked about it before on the podcast. When it comes to meditation, I, 
it's it seems to kind of be this trending word right now and I think people are like well I just want to be taught how to do it so I get it and you know being a meditation teacher you're you yourself I'm like it's a journey it's a practice there are still days where you know I I was just saying on another podcast that I was doing that I had like a one week where I was like I was doing a meditation I was like man like this is like in flow like I am just meditating my heart out I feel so good I'm meditating and I'm doing all the things and I just felt like very like I would finish my meditation and be like that was amazing and then there was one day where I was like going through my checklist my grocery list and like just and I was listening to a guided meditation and when the time went I was like I couldn't even tell you what that meditation was about couldn't tell you like it's it I feel like and I know we keep referring to like the Western world, the Western world. And I know this is applicable all over the world, but it's almost like people just want this solution. They're like, I just want to be taught how to do meditation so that I get it and that I can take it on into my world. And there's, it's a process, it's a journey. But I think that the, for me, like I always say, like the goal of meditation is not to necessarily like the fact that you were like, hey, amazing. Like I meditated. It, it kind of takes you out of that. Like it, it that almost puts like an egoness onto it. Like you got it. You meditated. It's it's this idea of being more aware of your your person afterwards, your environment, your like every just everything. And sometimes I think we can be taught that my first meditation teacher was very much, if you're not sitting cross-legged and if you're not doing an hour of silent meditation, you're not meditating. And I remember being told that and being like, wow, like that is a tall order to fill that kind of like, it, it doesn't make it sound very fun to be honest. And then I, I was working with my meditation teacher and took her training. And she said like, meditation can be five minutes and you don't like there are a lot of people who do not have the opportunity to sit down like what about anybody who's in a wheelchair or who has crippling back pain and they need to lie down are you saying that they can't meditate because they can't quote unquote sit still for an hour in cross-legged lotus position and I think that was really like oh that makes so much more sense and I like start with five minutes right like I, I my hope is that people work up to 10, 15, 20 minutes. I mean, an hour would be incredible, but you know, I can also appreciate that that's not a case for everybody. If somebody's working a nine to five and they have kids, but I'm like, you know, take five minutes and it can be a guided meditation. Like it doesn't have to be this tall order that we fill and, you know, to be spiritual or to be like connected with the universe. Like that's what we have to do. That almost makes it, that almost takes away the point of, meditation like it it gives it this kind of ego connotation like if that's not what you're doing then you're not clearly a meditator Megan I'm so glad you're shining light on that for your listeners and for everyone to just more people who know this the better <laughs> there is no point in kind of focusing on those constraints meditation is a workshop of the mind it's not supposed to be um, comfortable, easy, fun, um, and something to check off the list. Um, it's, it is supposed to be just developing awareness of your mental formations and your mental habits. I also think five minutes is amazing. One minute, amazing. One hour, amazing. It's all great. And I was given a big gift actually in the beginning of my journey with my formal um, becoming a, a meditation teacher you know, journey. <laughs> the gift was that someone said it is not, or one of my, the, it was a female monk who's called a nun. I know that can be confusing for uh, Christians out there hearing that I heard from a nun about meditation, but um, she said, there's no such thing as a good sit, uh, you know, good meditation practice, right? There's no such thing as a good sit or a bad sit. There's only a sit that you did or you didn't do. And the, she said the, the best, um, the best, uh, what do you say for that? The best way to qualify if you're doing good or bad. I know there's no duality in that. That sounds wrong to me, but um, the best way to qualify is if you're 
practicing regularly. It's not, I did one week of amazing meditation, high five. I did one week of bad meditation, boo me. Like it's all just, I am continuing to show up every single day for myself to make time for self-care, for developing more self-awareness. And that's really the goal, I think. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. Cause even when I went through the checklist in my head of going, Oh, or afterwards when I was like, Oh, like that was a crappy meditation. It's that awareness of going today. Wasn't the day that you did a fantastic meditation and that's okay. I also feel like I've been meditating for three years now. And there are still days where I will say to myself, and I mean, I can count on probably one hand, like it hasn't been very many, but I'll be like, I don't, I don't feel like it today. Today, I just don't want to do it. And I always, the next day I go, oh, I feel like today or yesterday, yesterday was the day that I should have meditated, even though I didn't necessarily feel like it. I always feel 1% better. And it, I don't know if you know the book um, by Dan Harris, 10% better. And that's probably a better analogy, but like you feel 10% better. Sometimes it's still not like today. I feel hundred percent. You might still say today. I feel 40%, but that meditation just seems to give me a little bit of the edge. And I always recognize the day that I haven't done meditation. I'm like, I really could have used it. I feel like I wasn't as mindful in the day. I feel like I was more kind of like shoulders up to the ears, a little bit more stressed, a little bit, just a bit more anxious. And I feel like even when I don't quote unquote, get in a good meditation, there's something about doing that practice daily that just sets me up for a, for a better day. Yeah. And sometimes I think that meditation can flip everything like completely, not just 10%, but it can change my husband whenever I'm feeling really anxious or, you know, he can start to see me spiral. He says, honey, do you want to like meditate for five minutes? And I, you know, of course, sometimes you want to be defensive and go stop, da, da, da. but usually like I've, you know, we have this habit. I've developed this practice to say, yes, I would. And I go into the guest room and I sit and I meditate and I, go, I feel so much better. It's, it is those people and those times and those moments. I can't meditate. I'm not, I'm, I can't, I'm not in a place where I can possibly calm down. That's when you really need to do it. Or the people who say meditation is too hard. I just can't. That's because maybe there's some misconceptions you have about meditation. And that's something I love, love, love to do is help people bust meditation misconceptions. I love doing it, Megan. It's so fun to help people realize what meditation really is and what it's not because we, we shouldn't be glorifying, as I said, those, you know, sitting in Lotus by a lake and peacefully for two hours at a time. And I really am so grateful too, that, um, I went to this meditation center in India to Shita. There was a one particular monk who came to visit. Um, he was returning. He had been at the monastery since he was seven or eight he's probably 40, maybe 50. Um, and he said to the group, I am so bad at meditating. Like what, you know, you've been meditating every day, maybe three hours, maybe five hours a day for 40 years or so. And he, you think you're bad at meditating, but what he was talking about, he continued to talk about was his mind is still very busy and it still gets lost all the time. And it still is hard to come back to the breath. It is not sitting peacefully for one hour, only focusing on the breath like a perfect magician. That's magic. That's not human. We have human habits and hu and I know my, my habits are very strong. I have a very strong mind and they like to describe it as a wild horse or a wild elephant. Like it is a strong mind, a strong habit we have to lean on. And so we have to be so compassionate and patient with ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny when you were saying meditation misconceptions, I, in my head, I was going, we could do a whole podcast on busting meditation misconceptions. Cause I feel like I'm in the same people come to me and in my head, I kind of giggle. Cause I'm like, these are like wild, just like almost excuses as to why you can't do it. Like, and I won't settle on this too long. Cause I want to take it into a different direction. But I remember saying to 
who be someone who became my, one of my yoga teacher trainers, when I was interested, I was like, Oh, I want to do like a yoga teacher training, but I can't do headstand and or handstand. And she was like, okay. And I was like, yeah. So, I mean, I can't take a teacher training. And she's like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, so that's why I love like to, when, when people come to me and they say, you know, I, I don't, I don't have the time. My mind just race like everything and anything. I feel like I've heard so much of it, but that would be like a fun little like podcast to do of like, here's something, here's why you can do it. Um, I would love to kind of transition and talk about how can we make our busy kind of chaotic lives a little bit more, I don't want to say like like a Buddhist lifestyle, but take sort of these traditions from Buddhism or these kind of tips and tricks, if you will, and start to apply it into our, to our daily life. Yeah. I think that, um, something that yogis and, and Buddhists, uh, share in common, well, is a lot of the, the way that they focus on nonviolence and non-attachment, non-stealing, truthfulness, you know, the yamas and niyamas, but also these are the same vows that Buddhist monks take, um, and the sadhus in the yoga tradition as well, you know, the, and all of the rishis and sages. It's it's very, it, you if you can focus on learning some of these um, basic ethical values and trying to make more alignment with those, that's an amazing way to start. And I know when someone hears ahimsa, nonviolence, they think I'm going to tell them to become a vegetarian. I am a vegan nutritionist. If you would like to be more plant-based, please give me a call or an email or a DM or anything, a, a pigeon in the mail. I, I Don't send a pigeon. That would be cruel. <laughs> but I'm joking. I'm just saying that um, nonviolence is also about the way that we talk to ourselves in our own mind. You know, there's, there's all these layers to unpack for truthfulness, for non-attachment. There's so much to learn. So I think just continuing to be a little bit more, um, curious and to, to read some literature or listen to some conversations, some satsangs or some dharma talks is a great way to talk, uh, to start. But, um, this, the smallest thing, which I think has the biggest impact is your mornings. I think your dinacharya, your daily routine, what, what are you starting your morning with? We all want to hear the alarm or not on alarm, but touch our phones and then grab our phones or scroll through our Apple Watch notifications, see all the Instagrams and everything we've missed, our emails. That is immediately going to the outside world. Immediately. You open your eyes, you have all this refreshness, this pure energy, this calm mind, and immediately you want to stir up that big old box of crazy with, or big old, excuse me, I shouldn't say crazy, big old box of bananas, we'll just say. You know, just stir up the box, shake the box of bananas with the external world of emails and affirmation and validation and potential trolls or, or to-do lists. No, 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 no. Why don't we then go to the inner world, even if it's for two minutes in bed. Why don't we just turn off the alarm, sleep with our phone on airplane mode, sleep with our phone on, you know, theater mode, sleep mode, what all the modes, we have modes for this now. And just say a, a mantra or say um, a sankalpa, say a, um, a little prayer, whatever it is that feels right for us, just set your intention for the day, your aim, your aspiration, your goal. What what do you want to call to you? Do you Instead of laying in bed with your phone and saying, I'm going to be so busy, I'm going to be so stressed, I have so much to do, can we lay there without our phone and say, I'm going to be peaceful, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm going to be kind to other people today and to myself? There's so much we can cultivate in the first couple minutes of awakening. And I try very hard to keep my phone on airplane for as long as I can, you know, two hours, maybe even, I, I really don't want to let the outside world in until I'm done with my meditation. I'm done with my asana practice. I'm done with my pranayama. I'm done with everything that is all about me, 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 you know, or <laughs> Buddhists would laugh at me, 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 right? That's like the antithesis, but that's all about the inner world, the inner journey. Um, and about cultivating those things like ahimsa, non-attachment, and just to have a little bit less attachment with our phone goes a long way. There's so many things that I want to ask you here, but I think the one thing that I feel like is really resonating with me, and I really hope this resonates with anybody who's listening, because I do have people who listen to this podcast that don't quote unquote identify as like a 
a yogi, if you will. Like they're like, I practice yoga, but I like, I wouldn't say like I'm a yogi or anything, but sometimes this limb of like non-attachment seems like a really big, like non-attachment, like I shouldn't get attached to people's emotions or feelings or something, you know, big is happening. Like I just detach from the outcome. And yes, but also it's the phone is such a simple yet challenging, easy, but not way to start looking at non-attachment is like not being attached to your phone. And I would love to ask you what I love a good morning routine. Like if you say your morning routine is two hours, I'm like, I live for it. Like I love my morning routine is intense. And it's funny when you said, when you get anxious, like your husband says to you, Oh, do you want to go meditate? Like my husband jokingly says to me in the mornings, like, cause I'll come out and I'll hit the kettle to kind of get like my lemon water going. And he's like, okay, babe, like go enjoy your float. Cause I, I have my morning routine, but I would love to ask you what your morning routine is that you feel has really sets you up for a really great day. And I would also love if you could, you know, even say, it's taking you some time to maybe develop or maybe not. Maybe you're like, this has been my morning routine forever. Or, you know, like I did this, I tried this and this is currently what's working for me. Yeah. I think that I agree. Megan, morning routines are sacred. There's something, they're like my sanctuary and it helps protect me. It helps strengthen me. It helps me to be just the person I am and the the person I want to be. So I'm glad that we also, we share that together. Um, So my morning routine is, I wake, uh, generally, generally, I wake up, I, as I said, keep my phone on airplane, I try for about two hours, I get up, I use the bathroom, I maybe lightly brush my teeth if I feel like I need to, (laughs) and then I sit down for meditation, um, usually 10 to 20 minutes, I don't usually go over that, and then I'll do five minutes of mantra chanting of OM. Uh, it's early in the morning. I, my, my voice isn't really ready for like the Gayatri mantra, ma- mantra or anything. So just OM chanting. And then depending on the day, sometimes 15 minutes of pranayama, um, sometimes just one minute. Uh, and then a 30 to 60 minute yoga practice is generally how I, what I do. Then I come out and make a cup of black tea and then I'll uh, slowly drink my tea. Maybe I'm reading a book or maybe I'm listening to a Dharma talk. I love Pema Troden, if anyone isn't familiar with her. She is incredible, Pema Troden. She has great Dharma talks with Simply True, available on a lot of libraries, and also on Hoopla, which is connected to libraries. It's an app, it's free, check it out. So I really like to have very slow mornings. But I do think that it's important to not bring the ego into our morning practice because I, for about three to five years, it's it's hard to draw that line when it started, but I really was saying, you know, like not the no pain, no gain, but kind of like, I am, I'm great. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to have all my tapas. I'm going to be ready to run and, and discipline myself and show up on the mat. I did a Ashtanga style practice every single day or six days a week, you know, you take Sundays off in the, that tradition, but I was very, very diligent and disciplined and, and intense about it. And I realized I wasn't, it wasn't cultivating what I wanted to cultivate. And so now I do a lot more yin yoga or a lot more very slow and gentle hatha. Um, sometimes I think vinyasa is gorgeous and beautiful in the sequencing, but it's not what I always need. I have a lot of vata in me and vata is a dosha. If you're not, if your listeners aren't familiar with the Ayurvedic doshas of vata, pita and kapha and vata is wind energy. So I have a lot of busyness, a busy mind. Um, I like to do things quickly. I am, I, uh, I'm prone to anxiety and things like this. And with this high, high paced, very fast and quick Ashtanga practice or vinyasa style, I don't think that it is the best um, for vatas always, not during every season and every time. So now I like to show up on my mat and say, what do I need today? What do I need? Do I need yin yoga? Do I need an extra long meditation? Do I need more pranayama? And that's different based on my menstrual cycle, the moon cycle, my uh, the season, you know, if, is it winter? Do I need a lot more heat? So should I do more uh, vinyasa style or am I about to, um, 
do something really uh, that makes me nervous, like go on uh, a trip or do, you know, have a big meal with my husband's family. I don't know, something that would make me nervous. So maybe more yin is needed. It's amazing to respond to what we need in that day. And to, then to also observe, am I judging myself because I didn't do a hard, hard, you know, push, push practice where I'm working on my handstand or something? I think it's amazing to witness our own response to our own decisions. And that's something I love also to help um, to guide people through is, is listening to those instinctual and internal voices. I love that so much. And I think it's, it's so nice to hear. I, I've had a few people come on and talk about, you know, sinking, sinking fitness to like your menstrual cycle, you know, doing things based on new moon and full moon and seasons. And it's, it's in my head, I feel like it's, it makes sense. I'm like, yeah, it definitely makes sense when you're, you know, ovulating generally, you have a little bit more energy. So sometimes you'll find yourself doing a little bit more of like a vinyasa flow or a power yoga. And then when you're menstruating, usually things like kind of slow down. I, and I've been playing around with a lot of like human design lately and really looking at my chart and like being very, uh, it's God, it's been a process, but even right now I'm learning about like the motor center. So like the energy and how how my energy works within my chart. And it's so funny because I can see it to a T. Like literally if someone was going to draw a blueprint to to myself, I'd be like, this is it. This is exactly how I work. And it's, I feel like that is one thing meditation has really taught me is this awareness of being like, okay, I have a lot of masculinity in my chart, which means that I really, really love routine. And sometimes I can get very stuck in that routine of like, generally, for example, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays tend to be more of my Pilates days. And I used to, I I mean, it's still a journey. There are still days I feel like I don't hit a Monday and I'm doing my Pilates. I'm like, you know what? I just kind of wanted to do like a chill yoga afterwards, you know, in my head, I'll immediately go, well, today was Monday. Like you should have done your Pilates you know, that's your discipline, you should have done it. And then meditation, almost like that awareness piece kicks in and goes, you know what, I wasn't feeling it today. So nobody is going to die, nothing is going to happen. I'm not going to, you know, just combust into a pile of like, you know, I don't know, (laughs) of not being disciplined. Like it's, for me, that's what meditation has very much taught me is like, what do you need in this moment. Sometimes it's a guided meditation. Sometimes it's, I love Wim Hof breath work. You know, sometimes it's a 10 minute morning flow. Sometimes it's a little longer. Sometimes I like to do yoga in the evening. Sometimes it's, it's a morning routine. Is there any specific meditations? I know you said insight timer. Do you use that app a lot? Do you do a lot of like quiet meditations when you're doing your yoga, are you following like a YouTube or is it kind of intuitive or does it kind of, like you said, based on your, your day, the season, and are there any like specific people that you recommend when it comes to that? Thanks for asking. Yeah. So if I'm going to be doing yoga, I'm mostly doing self-practice. So just what my body calls for, I respond to. Um, if I'm not doing self-practice, I love using yoga anytime. I know people are probably familiar with aloe yoga or Om stars. Um, yoga anytime is another option for streaming. I really love um, Kira Sloan. I think she, I think she's the founder or co-founder, and she's just amazing and has some great yin yoga um, pieces. If I'm doing yin, I like that to be guided. I really do enjoy a guided yin practice because there's so much affirmation and in, in, in the wording that's usually given with the guidance. I know how to get into swan pose. I, I don't need instruction on that, but I love hearing about you know, the flowing of consciousness or um, how we can, the illusion of the eye, you know, or or different topics that are usually going to be discussed by the teacher and Kira does a beautiful job. There's also a yoga teacher out of Egypt named Amina Taha and she has the Amina Taha method and her website is moving, um, M-O-V-I-I-N-G. And I think she does, um, has beautiful flows as well. Very creative sequencing, very great vinyasa. So if you're looking for kind of a 
something creative and fun and beautiful, I recommended Amina Taha. Um, in terms of meditation, I did a yoga teacher training. I did um, remotely here with an ashram in India I've always wanted to go to. I've been in India, as I said, for about four months, but I didn't make it to this one. I wanted to go to a yoga teacher training with them uh, on yoga philosophy and psychology to really just dive into that. But I did that remotely here in April, and they gifted me and all the students with about maybe a dozen meditations um, that were just mp3 files and so I listen to those often. I also on um, Insight Timer, I'm sure your listeners are, if they are on Insight Timer, they know of Sarah Blondin. She's the number one uh, on the entire app. She does more of uh, meditation poetry, I would describe it as. It's not as guiding step-by-step uh, -step on thought awareness, breath awareness, body awareness. It's more on a theme like trust or surrender and then she kind of weaves a beautiful story very meaningful around that so I will do different meditations with the ashram using my recordings using insight timer um, or silence I just use the bell on insight timer it just depends again on what I feel like my body's calling for I love that so much I would love to ask you, what are, you know, you said you set yourself up for a morning routine, which sounds absolutely amazing. Is there anything else that you do other, either in your daily life, or it could be weekly or monthly that you feel like just kind of gives you that peace of mind and also just maybe like even makes you feel really good in your, in your body, you know, like a health and wellness practice. It could be something as you know, simple as I like to go on daily walks or, you know, once a month I like to go for a massage because I feel like that helps me detox my body. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for massages, so I wish I could get more of those, but I don't live in Asia anymore. So those are not $1 <laughs> anymore for me. Um, my daily practice is I have a gua sha and a face roller, which hopefully maybe your listeners are familiar with. They're uh, Chinese medicine tools for facial massage. So I do maybe a five minute to eight minute uh, gua sha facial massage and neck massage to myself every evening. Um, in the evenings, I also have a gratitude journal. Every day I write down three to five things I'm grateful for, as simple as the mailman smiled at me or the color of the leaves were beautiful today. You know, just small things, but I love tracking it. I love kind of cultivating that practice. Um, as silly as it sounds, in France, they aren't well known for being, for gratitude. It's just not a French concept. I mean, they say merci, 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 like a million times. You can't walk away from uh, you know, any person you've encountered, a postman, uh, someone at the grocery store, a waitress without saying like, thank you at least three times and have a good day, then have a good weekend, then take courage. Then it's like you have seven different ways of saying thank you when you leave, but they, they don't really cultivate gratitude. They, it's not something. So if someone made a great meal for you, you don't really have that kind of American enthusiasm for it. Um, but I, I find it so very important to, for me to recognize I have all of the causes and conditions to be happy. I already do. Oh, I love that so, so much. And it's, I, it's so funny. I feel like if you and I broke down our like morning and evening routine, we are like totally like synced together with that. I do the same thing three to five. I tried to do like a gratitude journal in the morning. For me, it, it, I like to do it at nighttime. I feel like it's a nice way to end the day and to like reflect on like what happened for me in the day. But I do like to wake up in the morning and go like, oh, the sun is shining. Or even, you know, I was joking with you and saying like we had a storm last night that kind of went into the morning. And it was just, it was so nice to like wake up listening to the rain outside. So I'll do like a kind of like a mental one in the morning, but I, I love the gratitude journal for the end of the night. And it's, I know there's so many people out there who talk about gratitude and how it can really, truly re rewire their brain. And it sounds kind of like phil philosophical, like it's like an out there concept, but it's, it's not when you really, I feel like take the moment, like you said, uh, th this cup of coffee is absolutely delicious. It's the best cup of coffee I've ever had. The sun was shining today and it just, it hit me in the perfect moment when I was sitting on the couch and whatever like it really you really start to see, notice moments throughout the day that are very that you you become very thankful for and that I think that you really start to notice like the positivity in and 
it really does start to rewire your brain in a way that doesn't seem very kind of woo woo ish. Oh, absolutely. It's not woo woo. It, it is scientifically proven. I'm pretty sure you guys can Google, you know, scientific studies and, and I'm sure it'll be there for the effects of mindfulness on our nervous system or of, of grat- gratitude on our mm-hmm. nervous system, as well as on our brains and neural pathways. But I love that what gratitude is, is it is mindfulness. It is being completely aware and present, but it's the, the possibilities of the perspective because people love to say, or it's a, it's a habit perhaps to say, Oh, I'm so sick. I feel so bad. Or, Oh, things are so bad. And they say, well, at least I'm not a, you know, a starving child in X country. You know, they really like to belittle it when it comes down to things being bad. But how about when we're brushing our teeth and we go, oh, I am so lucky. I have teeth I get to brush. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I have teeth. I, how lucky am I that I have teeth? Like, when do we do that? How many times, like, do we think how lucky are we that we have teeth? Mm-hmm. I That's not a thought that pops up. We just take it for granted. But the day that we, um, you know, hurt, twist our ankle at the gym, then we feel so grateful when we can walk normally the day after we heal, but then we forget what a gift it is to walk. So it's about not forgetting, not forgetting how lucky we are and how many, 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 many things we have to be grateful for. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you feel like would really benefit the community, the audience, you know, something maybe in like Buddhist philosophy that you like that just completely blew your mind that has really made a difference in your day or a health and wellness practice that you don't hear a lot about, but it really makes a difference for you. Like anything at all that you, that I haven't asked that you wish that the audience knew. Mm, I think you did such a good job, Megan, of asking me amazing questions. We got to talk about some of my favorite things like non-attachment and ahimsa and even about, we talked about the Rig Veda through Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. Like that was really fun for me to get to touch on that and the goddess Tara. I'm like, these are fun things. Um, but I think in terms of what can really, really change is, is the practice of, of being a little bit more mindful. How can you cultivate that? You know, through the bell of mindfulness, through the breathe app on your Apple watch, um, can you start to maybe incorporate a little? So I think the one thing that can really help is to be, yeah, a little bit more mindful. How can you do that? What can you bring into your day? The bell of mindfulness, the Apple watch, breathe, but can you do a little bit more sankalpa? I love sankalpa. I love this genuine aim and affirmation or this aim and aspiration um, to, to draw more positivity towards you. It's part of manifestation, um, but there's some beautiful things you can repeat before you eat a meal. I know praying over our food is not a foreign concept, I think, in any culture. But if you can say, like, this, this food is a gift of the earth, the sky, and numerous living being, beings, and much hard and loving work, you know, how that gratitude of how many people went into making that meal for you. Oh, my gosh, we're so lucky. Like, there's so many things. And I love kind of cultivating that, feeling that. And then saying saying it verbally or mentally, I think really helps to kind of firm refirm. And we both write it down, Megan. We both write it down in journals, but saying it out loud and in our heads, I think, are just part of that practice too. Amazing. Lily, this has been a incredible conversation. Before I send everybody to check you out to follow you online, see what you're up to, I want to ask you, is there a book? podcast or resource that has brought you incredible value that you want to share with the audience? Ooh, well, if they could check out my podcast, Wild Yoga Tribe podcast, that would be the best. (laughs) I interview one yoga teacher from uh, a different country around the world every week. So it's really fun to get to have that international kind of spotlight on the global yoga community. But a book that has changed my life, I've, I've read like not every, oh my gosh, he's so prolific, but Titnan Han is incredible. He has so many great books, but his book on anger, I thought was particularly resonant for me. And Anne Lamott, she, she, her nonfiction books, um, and she reads them on audio tape. They are gorgeous. Like help. Thanks. Wow. 
you know, like there's these few books, um, Stitches was also beautiful, Hallelujah Anyway, uh, these books from her when I listened to on audio uh, during just really big times of transition or transformation in my life. And she writes from such an incredible place of vulnerability where you just feel so like it's messy, it's gritty, but it's funny and it's relatable. She has great sense of humor. She's writes like a poet too. And, and it's just worth it. It's totally worth it. Anne Lamont strongly recommend. Pema Troden recommend. Brene Brown recommend. Liz Gilbert recommend. Glennon Doyle recommend. There's amazing women all around us. So just tap into those books. I, I can't go wrong. Amazing. Lily, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your wisdom with us. If people want to check you out, if they want to follow you online, where can everybody go and find you? Thank you, Megan. Um, Wild Yoga Tribe. So I, my website's wildyogatribe.com. Wherever you are on social media, I'm there too, at Wild Yoga Tribe and the podcast Wild Yoga Tribe too. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Lily. Thank you, Megan. It's been a joy. If you love this podcast episode, spread the love by sharing this with your friends and family, share it out on social media, and don't forget to give it a five-star rating and review. From the bottom of my heart, I am so grateful that you are here. Until next time.